Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I am joined... As I always am. Yes. By Tom Dorian. Tom, Thank how are you doing? I'm well, and you? I'm doing great. You know what I'm doing? I'm searching the menu. I see that. I'm looking for something good. You're not going with the old regular today? No, I want to do something different today. Okay. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, as I'm searching, it causes me to think. <laughs> tired of the sticky buns. <laughs> about, not tired of the sticky buns. I want something different. It causes me to think about the word search. Okay. And it makes me think about, well, I don't know, the whole idea. Search rhymes with church. Hey. <laughs> hey, we're stretching here. And, you know, there's a lot of folks out well there searching. well played, by the way. Very well played. There's a lot of folks out there searching. Yes. Uh, you know, they're searching for truth. They're searching for meaning in life. And usually for a lot of people, that means they're searching for a good church because a lot of people have already realized that there's something great out there. They, yeah. They've already realized that there's a, a great and wonderful God, and they want to commune with that God. They want right. to talk to that God. They want to be with that God. And so usually for a lot of people, that experience is had in church. You're exactly right. So we have people that are searching for churches all the time. Right. Right. And, you know, the reality is it's a, it's a good thing that people do that because, really, we're programmed that way. Mm-hmm. Right? We're created in God's image and likeness, and we're kind of – our DNA is already designed to, to reach out to, to search for God, to find truth, right? right, to be with him. Right. And so it's natural that we would want to search and, and find him. And so we look at that and we start thinking, well, there's a lot of churches out there. Mm-hmm. Where um, you begin. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and in fact, I don't know what the total number is. I've, I've read everything from 10,000 churches to 50,000 churches yeah. out there, right? There's just tons of churches, lots of choices. 50,000. And so what you start to wonder is, well, okay, do I, it's, it's, is it like going to, uh, to the store and looking at the shelf with all the different products available and you want to read some of the, the attributes and what is the pros and cons of this product? You maybe want to read the reviews and look online and see what people said about using that product or whatever, if that's the way to best, best way to find a church. And, and unfortunately, I think that's the way a lot of people do yep. look for their church. But I think, you know, the nice thing is we actually have a kind of a clue. We have some, or some clues that will help us in our discernment. And hopefully you'll share that with we're us today. We're going to do Deacon that. Jeff. That's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to talk about what we call the four marks of the church. Okay. Right. And that comes to us from this great and wonderful ancient document mm-hmm. called the Creed. Right. Our profession of faith. And as Catholics, we do this every single Sunday. And on holy days of obligation, on special feast days, we'll say this creed. It's a, it's a thing that we all say. We all know it. I believe in one God. Right, it starts that way, goes mm-hmm. all the way to the very end, and we most of us have it memorized, mm-hmm. right? And we've been saying it since it was brought to us, right? Which was the Council of Nicaea. Nicaea. That's exactly right. The Council of Nicaea then that convened the Nicene Creed. That's right in three twenty five A D. Right, and that very council. We've been saying it a while. Well, it has been a while, and that very council. Right mm-hmm. is where we got the Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. and we've been saying it ever since. Now it did get altered just a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, enhanced at a later council in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. So it's really called the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. But we're not going to say it. We'll just say the Nicene <laughs> Creed to, to help folks out. But but the, I want to point to that key paragraph at the end, okay, of that creed, right? That starts with, "I believe in one holy, holy Catholic, Catholic and, and apostolic, apostolic Church." 
right? That's those are the four marks of the church. Right. So the cool thing is for those searchers out there, if you're looking for a good church, if you're trying to decide which is the church to be in, you can look to that document. Makes sense. Now, if you don't look to that document, if you sort of ignore history, mm-hmm. right, then what you're faced with now is really everything is equal. Right. Right? You can say, well, this one looks like vanilla, this one looks like chocolate, this yeah. one looks like strawberry, this one looks like pistachio. Yeah, you end up going with something that just feels good or feels right. That's right. 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 Exactly right. And that's how so many people do it. And I have a couple of good uh, Protestant friends who will talk about when they've moved into a new town, one of the first things they do is they want to find a church. Yeah. I want to find a good Bible-believing church. Yeah. And so they'll try churches on for size, right? It's like a suit of clothes. They go and they mm-hmm. say, well, which one fits mm-hmm. really well? Mm-hmm. Well, with Catholics, it's a little different because church really should be church in terms of what's taught, the, yeah. the, the faith, right, and how it's presented should be the same at yes. every Catholic church. Well, that's, it is. It's universal. Well, it's exactly right. So we'll talk about some of those, uh, those four marks right. as we move along, and that's going to give us a sense of – how you determine whether the church you're in is the true church, the one church, the church that Jesus founded. Yep. Right now, we as Catholics, not in a prideful way, mm-hmm. but in a historical way, mm-hmm. talk about the fact that we believe and we teach and our church professes to be that church, the church that was at the very beginning when Jesus says to Peter mm-hmm. – in Matthew chapter 16, he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Right. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus says that, the Catholics believe and teach that we're that church, that yep. that's the church that Jesus was talking about, that's the church that Jesus started. Yep. And when that Council of Nicaea came along and they did this profession of faith, now they wrote this creed mainly in answer to the heresies that were uh, swirling around at the time exactly about who jesus was yep was he divine was he part divine was he part human part divine was he fully divine and just acting like a human was he fully human and he was infused with divine uh grace or whatever and so you wonder like who is jesus right the church always taught who jesus was right the second person the trinity he was he's he's god and the church has always held steadfast to her teachings about jesus Mm -hmm. but there were those who didn't so they got this convened this council together to deal with this primary issue and a couple of other issues, but this primary issue, let's define who Jesus is. Let's define the Trinity. Let's lay this out so that everyone understands this. Right. They didn't, like, make this up and, and devise this and invent this at mm-hmm. that council mm-hmm. in 325 A.D. Right. They actually just defined and refined the teachings to make it clearer for the people of the day. That's exactly right. And then they felt compelled the at, councils the, do. at the end, exactly right, and at the end of that uh, document, at the end of that creed, that's when they put in this, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. And so from the earliest time in Christianity, right, the church has always taught these are the four marks of the church. Right. The church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, and the church is apostolic. Right. So let's talk about each one of those things. Let's take a minute on each one of them and figure out what that all means. Go, man. Right? And and at the end of this laundry list of these four things, if you can say, put a little box next to each one of them, and if you can check off each box, then you know you're in the right church. There you go. That's the whole key. So the church is one. What does that mean, Tom? I'm going to go ahead and pause and eat my donut. And Tom's <laughs> going to take over now and tell me, what does it mean to be one church? <laughs> well, we're all on the same page. We have one leader. We're all uh, under one big tent. Uh, we're together. We're not 
split apart into a gazillion different, you know, 50,000 different Tom, that was, that was brilliant. You had lots of different things in there, and those are all true. Absolutely. But. No, no, no buts there. That was actually that was that was very good. You good. You, you you hit many of the uh, the I'll important check that things. Box. That's exactly right. That that there is one church. Right. When Jesus said to Peter, "You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church," he didn't right. say my churches. Right. Right. And so there is one church. The church has always taught that there is one. In fact, there really has only been one all through history that goes all the way back from that time yep. to today, and that's the Catholic Church. But Really, even until maybe uh, uh, you know, in, in, into the, uh, the year one thousand around there, we started having tensions between the East and the West, and there was a division. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know about the uh, the division in the Church of England with mm-hmm. the Church of England, right? When where Henry VIII decided he was going to take over the Church, right? Right, and so he did that. And there's a division there. We know about the the Reformation. We know about Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and these guys, and they basically started. New churches, but all of those peeled off of the one church, right? Right. So if there was one tree trunk, all of those became branches, yep. right, from that church. Yep. And so, in a sense, in, in essence, there's always been one church. Yep. And what this means is there's one faith, there's one belief, there's one truth. And remember, we did a show about the attributes of God. We talked about who God is, mm-hmm. and we talked about the fact that we're one God. Yep. And all of those attributes of God really spill into the church, right? The church is one. Right. The church is, um, you know, all holy. The church is uh, eternal, right? right? And right. these are all things that are important for us to understand. Right. And that says who the church is. And when we say the church is one, you know, we can look in Scripture and see several references to the church being one. We can see in John chapter 10, we see, so there shall be one flock one shepherd, we hear that that phrase. St. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. Obviously, St. Paul believes there's one church. Yep. Right? And, and even Jesus, on the night before he was crucified. Yep. When he was praying, what does he pray in John chapter 17? He says, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, even as thou hast loved me. And this is beautiful. It's a beautiful prayer. It is. Jesus praying that we'd be one. Yeah. And you wonder if... That's what he intended, that there would be 50,000 churches, or however many there are. Oh, I think it was. I don't think so, Tom. I don't no, think no, he no, intended I'm sorry. that. I'm, I'm sorry. I think he meant for it to be one. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't kick right. you off the show. Right, right. off the bat, you right. were, you're about to get, uh, there's an ejector button on my panel here. Um, I can push please that. don't hit that. <laughs> it would be on the air, and it would be ugly. I'm kidding. I'd never do that to you, Tom. <laughs> but you're exactly right. There, that yeah. Jesus prayed for us. Right. Jesus wants us to be one. Right. And so he wants us to heal division. He wants us to heal disharmony. Yep. Right? We should be, as St. Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yep. And those are important things for us to remember. But the church is is one, and that's a, uh, the, that's the first of those four marks mm-hmm. of the church. So you ask your question, is your, is your church one? Right? So if you're in a church, let's say you're in the Episcopal Church or the Presbyterian Church, well, are there several Episcopalian or several Presbyterian churches? Are there several Baptist churches? Not just individual buildings. I'm talking about entire theologies or belief structures right. or major differences between certain teachings within churches. Yeah. That's what I think would be 
call someone to question whether or not they were in the one church because there wouldn't be disharmony. In fact, St. Paul asks us and says, like in Romans, uh, he says, I appeal to you, brethren, to take note of those who create dissensions and difficulties in opposition to the doctrine which you've been taught. Avoid them. He, he doesn't like dissensions and difficulties. Right. Right. He says, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So St. Paul wants no dissensions. There shouldn't be separate churches, right? right. There should be the one church, the one faith. Good stuff. Right? So we're going to talk about more, more about these things. We'll cover those other three marks of the church when we get back. Before we do that, we want to remind everyone of the wonderful website we have, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And, of course, I want you to email me. Send me one at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. With that, we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Lumen Gentium, or the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, was one of the 16 principal documents of the Second Vatican Council held in Rome, and was promulgated by Pope Paul VI in 1964. This landmark exploration of the nature of the Church, her leaders, her people, and their relationship with God, delves deeply into the heart and soul of the 2,000-year-old Catholic Church. The title, Lumagentium, comes from the very first sentence of this historic text, Christ is the Light of Nations, and establishes both the theme and tone of the entire document. In Lumagentium, the Council Fathers make clear that Jesus Christ is the very heart of the Church's identity. In paragraph 5, the Council Fathers state, the mystery of the Holy Church is manifest in its very foundation. The Lord Jesus set it on its course by preaching the good news, that is, the coming of the kingdom of God, which for centuries had been promised in the scriptures. In the word, in the works, and in the presence of Christ, this kingdom was clearly open to the view of men. Before all things, however, the kingdom is clearly visible in the very person of Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lumen Gentium makes clear the purpose, role, structure, visibility, and authority of the one church. Paragraph 8 tells us, This is the one church of Christ, which in the creed is professed as one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, which our Savior, after his resurrection, commissioned Peter to shepherd, and him and the other apostles to extend and direct with authority, which Christ directed for all ages as the pillar and mainstay of the truth. This church, constituted and organized in the world as a society, subsists in the Catholic Church, which is governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. Although many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside of its visible structure, these elements, as gifts belonging to the Church of Christ, are forces impelling toward Catholic unity. In Lumen Gentium, the historic Ecumenical Council of Vatican II offered the people of God a new and refreshing look at the time-honored sacred traditions of a centuries-old institution founded by Christ Himself. I'm Bester Zimski, and this has been another great moment in church history. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I am sitting here still with Tom Dorian, and we are talking about the four marks of the church. Number two. Yeah, we're on to number two. Well, first, let's recap. For those of you (laughs) who might have just joined us, yes, the first mark is one. One. Right? The church is one. There is one church. There's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. So if you're keeping count and you've got your scorecard in front of you, you may, and you are in a church that is one, right, right, and doesn't have a whole lot of division and whatever, you can just, and has, and has like one uh, governance, one kind of hierarchical structure, right? right? Mm -hmm. It's one in so many ways, one in terms of what it teaches in the faith, then you can check off that box one. Perfect. If you did not check off that box, <laughs> stay tuned to the end of this program. We'll tell you what to do about that. But, yeah. but if you, but but hopefully most of us checked off that that first box, right? Yes. And so the second box is holy. Right. Now that might be a silly one. You think, why would they have to put that in the creed? Of course it's holy. But we want to talk a little bit about why the church is called holy. Not so much just for one reason. It's actually a couple of reasons why the church. Is called holy, and Tom. Okay, you probably know at least one of those. Yeah, well, it's you know, it was started by Christ. Uh, he established it. It was His authority on earth. He laid His hands on Peter and said, "You're gonna, you're the rock. I'm building my church on you," and that kind of makes it holy. Exactly right. Why? Because Christ is holy. Christ right. is the epitome of holiness. Right. Right. He is the author of holiness. So remember, we talked about the attributes of God, right? Right. If God is all holy, everything that God breathes, all everything good. that God wills, everything that God does is holy. And when he builds a church, the church is holy. Exactly. Right? And so not only is the church like this bastion of holiness, this great, um, you know, keeper of holiness, that you walk into those doors and you feel holy. Why? Because it's a holy place. Not only that, but let's focus on that whole idea that you feel holy when you walk in there. Not only is the place holy, but its holiness now spreads out through those doors and has an effect on you. Yeah. the church being holy, it's important for us to understand that because the church will make you more holy. Yeah, it inspires right? holiness. It inspires. It, it, it causes us to be holier. Sure. Our participation in the liturgies, our participation in the mission of the church to evangelize, our participation in the mission of the church to to, to reach out to those people who are, may seem undeserving, right, where – all created in the image and likeness of God, our, our mission to reach out to everyone, mm-hmm. whoever they might be, that makes us more holy, Yep, our participation. And we see the experience of that through the martyrs, through the, 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 the saints of the church, don't we? Great example. Exactly right. So we look at them and we see these holy people that lived holy lives. And even then, now we can call upon them and say, hey, dude, I know you're in heaven right now with God. Can you... Like, say a word for me. Yeah, put in a good word. <laughs> I need some help. Because we all know that St. <laughs> Paul tells us that even in death, you know, we're not separated from the love of, of God, right? Exactly. That th- those saints, even though they've died, they're not in this world anymore. Right. Right? They're in that world. Yep. And they're standing in, in the beatific vision. You know, they're in the very presence of God. And so this yeah. holiness of the church, you know, is important for us to understand. That, and, and if it is a real true church, it will not only be holy, but it will breed holiness. It will cause holiness, right? It will bring harmony. It will not bring uh, division and destruction and disharmony, right? It's going to bring peace. It's going to preach love and joy. And that's where a lot of people, their church might not do that. Yeah. 
Right? So again, what, can you check that box next to your church? Does your church, is it holy? Not only does it come from God, but does it cause you to be holy? And do the things that you do fit into that category of holy because of that church? Yeah. You know, that brings to mind people who will use religion for all kinds of reasons to bring war and destruction and disharmony and agony to the world, to bring sin to the world. Yeah. Right? But that's not that's not holiness. No, it's not. That's not what comes from holiness. Right. Right? And so, again, can you check off number two? Let's hope you can. Yeah. Let's hope your church is holy. Yep. Right? Well, let's look at the third mark. All right? Let's go to that third mark. And that third mark is Catholic. Now, I know exactly. I, my non-Catholic listeners right now are going, wait a second. This is a put-up job. He's making us agree <laughs> to this and sign this document that says Catholic in it. You know, can right. we just change that to universal? Well, you know what? That's what the word means. Exactly. So when we say the Catholic Church, we've always meant, and it has always meant, the universal church. Yeah. Right? It is not meant to be anything but that word when it was first named. So when people hear the word Catholic Church now, the first thing they think of, right, is that it's a brand of Christianity. It's a kind of Christianity. It's one of the flavors of ice cream. Yeah. When in reality, if we look at history, we find out that this word Catholic was used a long time ago. Probably one of the early church fathers. That's exactly right. One hundred ish. Yeah, exactly. One hundred and ten A.D. Really? To be precise. Yeah. In a in a letter to the Smyrnaeans. That's a good guess. Saint Ignatius of Antioch. <laughs> he said this. He says, "Wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there. Just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church." Wow. Now this is the first time that we have like an extant writing, right? A complete writing. How about that? Where the word Catholic is used to describe the church, right? And so, again, the Catholic Church wasn't invented later. The Catholic Church was invented by Jesus. Right. Right? A long time ago. Yeah. And so the church has always taught this. And so we have to look at this word Catholic and realize that we're not saying this is a flavor or a brand or a type of Christianity. We're saying this just means we're a universal church. So that third box, right, the third mark, is your church universal? Yeah. Right? Is your church everywhere? Yep. And I think you'd have to uh, you, you challenge yourself. Now, I know that many churches have missions in different countries, and mm-hmm. they'll send missionaries there. But is there a church that is as profoundly present in more cultures, in more places, and in more times in history than the Catholic Church, right, than the, the Church of Rome, right, the Roman Catholic Church? If you look at that, you'll realize that, wow— you know, the Roman Catholics have been around a long time, and they've been in a lot of places. Yeah. Now, this also means, Catholic also means, that we're not an exclusionary church. In other words, Jesus came to save everyone. Indeed. Right? And if there's just going to be one church, everyone everyone gets a key to the executive washroom. Exactly. Right? Everybody gets in. You can't keep anybody out. We don't exclude anyone from membership in the church. Exactly. And even so, we, we see those, our separated brethren, right? We see our Christians of, of other different types and other faith traditions. We see them as part of this one church in sort of an imperfect way, but not sharing so much the fullness of the truth, but sharing pieces of the truth that are key. Yeah, we really do. That's exactly right. And so, uh, again, does your church fit that bill? Is it universal? My boxes right. are checked so far. You got three boxes checked. I do. Very good. All right. I'll, I got I'll, my fingers crossed on the fourth. Now, this last one, yeah, this last one's tough. Yeah. The last one is apostolic. It is. And it's and it's the key. 
It's the key to the Catholic Church. It's, it's really, if you look around, there's not a lot of churches that are apostolic. No, they right? really aren't. You're and right. what it means is apostolic. Not only are we based on the teaching of the apostles, which a lot of churches can say we're based on that, the teaching of the 12 apostles, but we talk about apostolic succession. We talk about the fact that Jesus put Peter in charge, right? And then after Peter was gone, another was put in charge in his place. Another exactly. took his office. Look at our shows about Peter and the papacy and this ongoing succession exactly. of teaching. Guardians meant to keep the faith, those protected by the Holy Spirit uh, to bring truth to the people through the guidance and love and mercy of the church through her authority, right? Apostolic succession through the years. For 2,000 years, we've had popes. Exactly. 2,000 years, we've had keepers of the keys. Cool stuff. Right? So can your church say that? Can you check that fourth box? Yeah, Tom, you can. I got, I got a yes. I'm going to go ahead and say, so Tom, you got all four boxes. They're all checked. Now, I know there's some folks that are listening whose boxes aren't all checked. So then we ask, well, where is the true church? Right? And this idea of these four marks yeah. given to us by the Council of Nicaea, this time when uh, several hundred bishops, the universal church, came together to say, what do we believe about God? What do we believe about the Trinity? What do we believe about the church? Mm-hmm. They're the ones that decided it needed to be one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Exactly. Right? They're the ones that laid those words down through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you, but they're the ones that put those words down, and we still follow those words, and so we still need to heed those words as we search for that truth, as we move to a new town and look for a church. And I, and I hope and pray that yeah. you'll open yourselves to the Roman Catholic Church, to the one true church. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully that lays it all out there for you, uh, and we hope you've enjoyed this show about the four marks of the church, and I pray that you have all four of them checked off absolutely uh, and all good, four of those boxes on your score Jeff. your scorecard uh and so i'm gonna we're gonna wrap things up here okay with a prayer all right and let's do that in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen, amen. heavenly father we thank you for the gift of your church given that we might find in her sacraments all the graces we need to flourish spiritually here on earth as we prepare ourselves for an eternity in your presence Guide us to this one holy Catholic and apostolic church and help us to remain steadfastly in her truth. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. listening to the Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.